Jeffrey Lickman for Beyond the Legal Limit. Welcome back to a new episode. It is Monday, June 27th. Here we go. I'm going to get right into it because who wants to listen to me uh, drone on about things that aren't important? That's not why you tuned in. Okay, obviously the most important things that happened over the last week, and this is why we're going to go right into some current events, are the two Supreme Court decisions, the abortion uh, decision overruling uh, what's commonly being called the overruling the Roe v. Wade decision and the gun decision from the Supreme Court that affects uh, New York permit holders, but obviously will affect the entire country as the Supreme Court rules over all. And I have to tell you, I'm really enjoying them both, both decisions very much. I'm taking awesome gratification from both. And uh, you're thinking, you're listening to me and saying, what is this caveman? Why do you say this? Why? Why would a pro-choice person like me enjoy the overturning of uh, 50 years of abortion rights in America? Well, I'm going to tell you why I enjoy it so much. I'm enjoying it so much because it's making the left insane. It's driving them crazy. And it's making them reveal themselves once again. You know, the peace, love, no war, you know, the, the tree-hugging lefties. When they don't get their way, they lose their minds and they get violent. So I'm enjoying this. I'm hoping that there's going to be some cities burned down. I mean, look, you've lost abortion rights. You'd think that if this doesn't make you nuts, what would? I mean, isn't that more important than George Floyd getting killed by a cop? Cops kill people all the time. Once every 50 years, women lose abortion rights. I want to see some cities burning. There's been very little violence. There was some incident in Arizona. I believe there were hostages taken at some court building. I don't think anyone was even arrested. So that's bullshit. We need to get a little more crazy, a little more nutty. And, you know, right now it's been a pretty weak response. We need to show the country that you're useless, that you're worthless. You need to scream, cry, act out. Your pain has to be performance art in the streets. That's what you do. That's what the left does. So do it. Now, I'm pro-choice, but I also respect the Supreme Court. I'm a lawyer. Do we really want a Supreme Court that decides legal issues based on polls or even worse, based on threats? And who are the people that are screaming the loudest? It's always the crazy, violent left. The very people who claim that guns need to be taken off the streets because they're responsible for so much violence. You know those people? But they have no problem burning down city after city after city if they don't get their way. And and why is it, just to sort of state the obvious that I never seem to see anywhere about this issue being discussed, why is it that every pundit that comes out against the abortion decision this past week, including such a noted, brilliant legal mind such as Michelle Obama, why hasn't one of them actually explained why the decision is legally incorrect? Have you noticed that? They, they, none of them read it. I mean, none of them read it. That's why they don't ever talk about why the decision might be wrong. They just know they want abortion on demand, and now they can't get it. And because of that, the decision has to be bad. But maybe reading it, it's, it is written in English. It's, it's, it's written for the people. It's not written in, uh, in just legal jargon. I mean, it's pretty understandable. 
And if you actually read it, you know, you'll see that perhaps you may not agree with it, but there is some logic to it. Now, look, just because you can't get what you want, the left I'm talking about, that doesn't mean you have to go out and protest and commit violence and intimidation. Now, this started, Chuck Schumer threatened conservative justices when the draft decision came out in May. We saw that. There were protesters outside of the conservative Supreme Court justices' houses. Some of them were holding signs threatening uh, violence. This is normal. And as I said, when George Floyd was killed, one city after another city was burned down. Abortion and leftist groups are calling for a summer of rage, asking for guns to be brought to protests, threatening to kill the conservative Supreme Court justices openly on Twitter. It's there. It's still up. Recently, I had my Twitter shut down because I pointed out that the Palestinians elected Hamas to lead them and that they're a terrorist group which hands out candy to children when an Israeli baby is murdered by one of them. That's a fact. There's no dispute to that. I mean, maybe Hamas would dispute it only in the sense that they would say that they're not terrorists, that they're freedom fighters. But other than that, there's there's no dispute that they hand out candy when Israeli babies are killed by Hamas terrorist slash freedom fighters. I had my Twitter shut down permanently for that. But you've got leftists saying that you're going to kill uh, Clarence Thomas. They're going to burn down the Supreme Court and kill them all. That's okay. There was one up that called them the N-word. That wasn't shut down. I don't know if it's shut down. It's been like a day later. That's the kind of shit that stays up on Twitter. This is why Twitter is a cesspool. This is why the left is a cesspool of ideas because they have no problem with this kind of stuff when they don't get their way. They're even denouncing their queen, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, for not retiring when Obama was still in office so that he could appoint a liberal justice in her stead. They hate her for not retiring, for daring to stay on the court. What they don't hate her for, because obviously they don't read again, They don't hate her for the fact that she pointed out that Roe versus Wade was a flawed decision that eventually wouldn't stand. Those are her words, not mine. This decision was a fiction in a lot of ways. I've talked about this on a prior podcast. And that's why the leftist clerk who leaked the abortion decision in May did so, to allow for intimidation of the justices that were in the majority. This uh, clerk you know, they didn't want he or she, I don't know, may possibly it's a they or an it, didn't want this decision to come out without massive pressure and threats being placed on the heads of the justices that authored it. Now, each liberal justice, there's three of them on the court. They each justice has like two or three clerks. So you're talking, you know, maybe six or nine clerks or the one of the ones that leaked it. Somehow law enforcement has not been able to figure out which of these six to nine clerks leaked the draft decision, which culminated in an armed assassin being arrested outside of Justice Kavanaugh's home recently. An armed assassin that barely got any play in the media. That was done directly because of this leaker. And somehow they haven't been able to take the six to nine clerks, sit them in a room one at a time and question them and figure out who the leaker is. I don't know, polygraph tests. There's some, some effort can be made. It's not very difficult, but this is the leftist way. You cover up the violence, you commit it when you can, you're hypocritical about it. 
You say you don't want violence, and in order to get no violence, you're going to kill as many people as you can. They're calling for a civil war. They're calling for bringing down the Supreme Court by burning it to the ground. If they really want a hot civil war with fighting, it wouldn't take long to defeat these leftists. They don't have many guns. Remember, they're against the guns. And they can't even figure out what sex they are. We're not concerned. We really shouldn't be. If they want the civil war, well, they're going to get it. Now, this is some of the mental illness that exists on their side. This, I don't know if you know who this Anna Navarro is. I don't know if she's on MSNBC or CNN. This cow, she said, uh, I guess it was on Friday, that abortion is very important because she has a step-grandson who is autistic and a step-granddaughter who has Down syndrome and that, quote, there are mothers in that community who will tell you that they considered suicide because that's how difficult it is to get help. So I, I think what she's saying is you need abortion to kill her step-grandchildren. Funny that she doesn't call them grandchildren. She calls them step-grandchildren. She does that because she considers herself, it's one of two things. She either considers herself too young to be a grandmother, and she doesn't want anybody thinking that she's old, or two, she doesn't want anybody to think that genetically she has kids that are fucked up genetically. That's why. That's why she calls them step-grandchildren. Isn't, aren't they just her grandchildren? Regardless, she wants them dead. That was the important take that I got from what she said, complaining about abortion. Look, these kids, these kids aren't perfect like me. I mean, my God, look at her. She's not perfect. She's not even close to perfect. Anyway, President Biden naturally said that abortion is now on the ballot in November. Now, obviously, if the economy is on the ballot, then Democrats lose because inflation is through the roof. The prices are skyrocketing for common household items. You can't buy new cars. It's very difficult. Gas will be $7 a gallon in November, if not higher. You can't get machine parts. The supply chain problems aren't being fixed at all. You can't even get baby formula still since February. If quality of life is on the ballot, well, Democrats lose because the leftist district attorneys in city after city refuse to enforce the laws in all these big blue cities. Crime waves are sweeping these cities. Every one of them, violence, crime is up massively, massively. They're even, even the leftists are recalling some of these leftist communist district attorneys. Can you imagine how much that must, must suck for them? They are such communists in places like San Francisco, yet they had to remove a communist district attorney. Why? I guess they were tired of getting killed every day and on a good day, just having human excrement being on the sidewalk in front of your house had enough. So again, if quality of life is on the ballot, Democrats are going to lose. What about if uh, foreign pol policy is on the ballot? Democrats are going to lose again because we've abandoned our allies in Afghanistan. We left them to die, basically. We left, I don't know, $80 billion worth of weaponry to the Taliban there. We abandoned our allies in the Middle East. The Iranian terrorists are laughing at us. It just the, on Friday, we allowed to let members, former members of their armed terrorist unit, the Revolutionary Guard, they're allowed to come into America as long as we determine that they're up to no good. Because, you know, there are so many former terrorists in Iran that need to come to America. I'm sure they only just want to see the Statue of Liberty. Well, they released that news on Friday afternoon because they were hoping it wouldn't make the media. Well, I'm telling you, 
that our administration is now allowing former members of the Revolutionary Guard, Iran's Revolutionary Guard, who say death to America every day of their lives, we're allowing them into America now as long as we believe that they're not dangerous anymore. Think how utterly fucking insane the left is to allow that just to get this nukes deal that's going to suck anyway. That's how crazy it is. Now, if policing is on the ballot, Democrats lose again there too because they wanted to fund the police and they have no respect for law enforcement. That uh, Lori Lightfoot, that bug-eyed mayor of Chicago, she was uh, asking for an $80 million reduction to defund the police in Chicago, I guess it was last summer. She's got like 75 cops that protect her. So $80 million less for the people of Chicago that are getting massacred in record numbers day after day. But this bug-eyed freak, this bug-eyed leftist freak gets to have 70 or 80 cops protecting her for what? What is her life worth? You know, anyway, so uh, I guess abortion will have to be the issue that the Democrats care about because they got nothing else. So if you don't mind starving to death, vote Democrat in November, because at least if you can't close your legs or use birth control, I know that's just an impossible thing to imagine. Maybe you can vote into office Democrats in red states where abortion will be outlawed or curtailed, you know, where it is now. And then I guess if you go there and vote, you're going to turn these red states to blue, and then uh, you can reverse the abortion limitations on those, uh, those states, and you'll bankrupt the newly blue states much the way you've turned uh, your major cities like San Francisco, New York City, L.A., Chicago into dangerous leftist shitholes. So I don't understand what the point is of voting for it, because in the blue states, you can have abortion anyway. Nothing's changed in the red states. Well, you want to vote there and change it? Well, you're going to just turn it into the same problems that the blue states are having. But you need to understand something. People want to support their families first, second. And third, they want to live safely. The idea that people are going to live and die for the right of women to get their asses to abortion clinics in other states, if they're in red states, I just don't think that it's really going to be that big of an issue when you're paying $10 a gallon for gas. People don't care. This is not, as I said earlier, this is not the kind of thing where white liberals can virtue signal the way they did after the George Floyd murder. No one really cares. That's why you're not seeing the violence. That's why, because nobody really cares. It's true. And it's sad because the people that are suffering are the minorities that can't afford to go from one state to the next to get an abortion. Regardless, I'll say this about the decision, and I'm not here to analyze it for you. Uh, that's not for today. With all the talk about how Roe versus Wade was was overturned, you know, again, read the decision. Planned Parenthood versus Casey, the Supreme Court's decision of 1992, overruled parts of Roe v. Wade already. Casey threw out Roe's trimester scheme that held that at the beginning of the third trimester on you know, like weeks 26 on, that's the point at which a fetus becomes viable, okay? The court ruled that a state's interest in protecting prenatal life becomes so compelling that it could prohibit all abortions in that third trimester, except where necessary to protect the mother's life or health. That was thrown out by the Supreme Court in 1992 in the Casey decision. But naturally, 99% of the the hairy lunatics that are twerking their asses in the street right now, they don't know about this. 
the Supreme Court in Casey made a new rule, which uh, uh, made it impossible for states, forbid states to adopt any regulation that imposed, quote, an undue burden on a woman's rights to have an abortion, claiming that the right to an abortion existed as a privacy right as guaranteed by the Constitution. More importantly, states could restrict abortion, as I said, post-viability, so long as the law contained exceptions for pregnancies which endangered the women's life or their health. And, and I'm funny, it's funny, I'm reading over the weekend and Barack Obama is calling for abortion to be codified, make it into a law so that the Supreme Court can't do anything about it. You know, forgetting naturally, of course, that he had control of uh, both the Congress and the Senate for the first two years he was in office. All right, first two years. Why didn't he get it done then? I'll tell you why. Because the truth is not all the Democrats back then believed that fetuses should be ripped from wombs uh, uh, up to birth like most Democrats feel now. It wasn't so easy to get a consensus amongst the majority back then on, on this kind of issue. Now, Eric Adams, I have to throw him in. I think every podcast, I have to say something about Eric Adams. He needed to tell us that when he got out of jail, when he was 15 years old, he knocked his girlfriend up. And, and I have to tell you, I really needed to hear that the mayor in the club, uh, that he knocked up his, his girlfriend when he was 15, when he just got out of jail. And maybe, maybe it's not the best idea to elect a guy as mayor who is in jail at 15 and knocked up his girlfriend as soon as he got out. He's doing such a great job in New York City. Crime is up across the board, and he's getting lit every night with, with his entourage and refuses to work. So thank you, Eric Adams. I'm thrilled to know that you knocked up your girlfriend at 15 when you got out of jail and that she aborted the kid. Thank God, frankly. I'm thrilled. Abortion worked in that case. For the rest of us that have to live in the same city as you, we're thrilled that that child was aborted. Now, uh, suddenly the left remembers that women are the ones who get pregnant. Have you noticed that? Like last week, all kinds of people had uteruses and abortions. Men, women, it's, whatever the, the fuck they're calling themselves now. Now, for some reason, it's just women that are affected by the Supreme Court decision. And they're also telling us that this is a decision to get an abortion should between, be between a woman and her priest, a woman and her doctor, not the government. The government should not be involved in a decision that impacts a woman's body. That's what the left is saying now. But yeah, the government, according to the left, they suggest that the government should be able to mandate the COVID vaccine for you and your kids. They're allowed to enter your body, then the government, with a vaccination you know, the kind of vaccination that they lied to us about and said that it would cure all of COVID, it would stop the spread, right when we were getting it. That's what they told us. The government is now mandating that our kids get it. They can't go to colleges. They can't go to, go to schools, can't go to high school if they don't get it. But that is okay. Them mandating about abortion, no, 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 no. Can't allow it. Can't allow it. Can't. It's so awful that we need to kill some Supreme Court justices, according to the left. Anyway, I know this is going to be hard to believe, and for any leftists out there that are listening, abortion is still legal. It's just up to the states to decide. Some states are going to allow it. Some won't. If you want an abortion, go to the state that allows it. And again, it doesn't help people who can't afford to travel to those states, and, and I get it. But when you see what's happening in America, 
America is becoming so partisan state by state uh, that you, you, each state has its own tenor, has its own personality. It used to not be that way. Every state had sort of a mix of both. Now the states are, are taking on the personalities of one side or the other. So maybe the people that are left, uh, they're in the left, need to move to blue states. And the people that are uh, the red, that are living in blue states, need to move to red states. But regardless, I am pro-choice. And it is troubling to now allow abortions, uh, excuse me, to, to not allow abortions in every state in my mind. I, I think it's a problem. I don't think it's right. But leftists want abortion on demand, and most of America doesn't agree with that. You hear the polls which say that Americans in the high 60-something percentile favor abortion, and that's true. The majority of America does favor abortion, does want people to have the right to choose. But if you actually look into the numbers a bit, you'll see that this is a nuanced issue, despite what the New York Times will tell you. I mean, again, use me for an example. I'm pro-choice. But I'm not pro-choice, it's really pro-abortion, up until the birth of kids, which many of these crazy leftists who support drag queens in the classroom are for. I mean, you ever see what a baby at 30 weeks gestational age looks like? I know, because my kids, I have twins, they were born at 30 weeks on the button. They were in the high two-pound range. They were viable, though. They had fingers, they had toes, they had heads, they had brains, they had eyes, mouths, nose, ears, they could live outside the womb. They were babies. Many leftists want those fetuses or babies, which is what they are. They want them to be terminated inside the womb. That involves crushing their skulls with these large metal forceps, ripping off their limbs, puncturing their lungs. Fuck that. And I'm pro-choice. And many of the states which are restricting abortions now post this last decision last week, they're not eliminating abortions completely just after a certain period of time. And think about it. Again, I'm not a woman, but if you miss your period, meaning you you might be pregnant, doesn't that give you cause to believe that you might be pregnant if you missed your period? What if you miss your period for like three times in a row? Three months in a row, you just don't get your period. You know, that's like, I don't know, 15 weeks you'd be pregnant at that point? Is that not enough time to know that you're pregnant? Leftists think that they really need to get to the third trimester, 26 weeks and on, six months before figuring out that they're pregnant and want an abortion. Six months of missed periods? Look, that's a little nutty. Most people seem to figure it out earlier. And you're saying, well, how do I know that? Well, I'll tell you why. Because more than half of the abortions in America, 54%, that are performed in America are known as medication abortions. That means you take a pill and you end your pregnancy. And you can get these online now since the COVID crisis started. You don't have to go to a doctor. You can get them online. But you can take that pill up to 10 weeks of pregnancy. So 54% of all the abortions, the women know that they're pregnant by the 10-week period because it's not that difficult to figure out when you're not having your period, I guess, again. Never had a period, but it's sort of common sense, right? So, you know, you've missed your period, what, twice by then? Anyway, no limbs need to get ripped off. No skulls need to get crushed at that level, at that period of time. Just a pill and the cells are wiped out. It's a lot different than abortions at 20 weeks or later, which obviously can't be done with a pill. 
And unfortunately, and this is bad, based on the new law, someone from a state which bans abortions now can't buy such a pill online because I'm guessing it's going to be a crime. You know, abortion's illegal in that state and you order a pill online and have an abortion at home, that's going to be against the law. You know, that being said, how difficult would it be to, to get one of those pills? So I, I also don't know if you live in, let's say, a state like, let's say, Texas, we'll use where abortion or Missouri, where abortion is illegal. If you go to another state, a, a blue state, and have an abortion, I don't know that that's not going to be deemed illegal. So this is pretty fucked up, this decision. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, I'm not, I'm against the, in truth, I'm against it. I think it's nuts. But maybe we wouldn't be having these horrible, divisive debates and fights about abortion if the people who get pregnant and want abortions actually do so by 15 weeks or so, which is, again, almost four months of missed periods. Only the diehardest conservatives are against abortions up to 15 weeks. Most, or at least many Republicans that are moderates that I know uh, and, and are normal, not insane, we know from polls they're okay with abortions in the first trimester. The truth is, what kind of sick freak is okay with killing a viable baby in the third trimester when the kid is two, three pounds and, and is viable again? Listen to these poll numbers. This is really interesting. You never hear these numbers. The further into a pregnancy, the less support abortion receives from America. A Quinnipiac poll found that 61% of Americans support abortion during the first trimester. That's 13 weeks or three months. Only 34% support abortion during months four to six, and only 19% in the third trimester. And that's both parties combined. This is what's like never talked about. It's not so black and white for most people. More people in America support bans on abortions after 15 weeks than support abortions after 15 weeks. Think about that. So it's not when people say, well, this country is, you know, a majority for abortion. Yes, in the first trimester. So maybe there could be a happy medium and there wouldn't have to be these, you know, black and white situations with these, with the court decisions. Now, again, I'm pro-choice, but I believe there's a limit. You can't be using abortion as birth control. And if you do get pregnant, you should have to get the abortion, I think, by the end of the first trimester or roughly 15 weeks. Naturally, the far left, the violent protesters, the Democratic Party, they want abortion on demand. And I just don't think we're ever going to reach a, a national consensus on that. The country doesn't want it. Maybe that is the nat that national consensus. Now, let's be real, though. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, I've been sort of been trolling a bit. Reversing 50 years of abortion rights, making it illegal and making it a state's issue, making it illegal for a woman to have uh, an abortion in one state and making it legal in another state. Is that really what we want to have to make people go to other states to have abortions? I mean, come on. Uh, like I said, theoretically, you're in Missouri. It's illegal. You travel to New York to have an abortion. You get an abortion. Why can't they prosecute you when you come home? You live there. You live under the rules of the state. It doesn't say that the abortion has to be in, in uh, Missouri. So I don't think we want that. I don't think we want to treat every miscarriage like it's a crime scene to see what caused the miscarriage. Was it an abortion or was it a legit miscarriage? We don't want that. The Supreme Court's decision, while I enjoy greatly the hysteria that's being suffered by the left, it, it's really appalling in practice. 
And, and I've said this before and I'll say it again, but the timing of the decision is just gruesome for the country. The Democrats have destroyed the country. They've made Donald Trump appear competent with their massive mismanagement in the last just, you know, year and a half. By making this decision now, the Supreme Court does give Democrats the only issue they have to get any votes. Who else would vote Democrat right now? You'd have to be out of your mind. You can't think of a single thing positive that they've done. Last week, I was on WOR last Monday, and Len Berman, the host, I asked him, tell me one good thing that Biden's done. He says, infrastructure. I mean, I don't even know what the fuck that means. Oh, some roads got fixed? When the roads not get fixed, he said that Biden brought dignity back to the White House. He's got a son and daughter that are both crackhead sex addicts. What are the odds of that? And both of them, you know, lost, one lost his computer with all of his personal information, smoking crack, he's having sex with underage girls. The other one uh, lost her her diary when she was in a in a rehab and in it she said that that Joe Biden her father showered with her for too long no one's denied that that's real that's the kind of you know of class that we want back in the white house i mean jesus christ there is nothing positive that the democrats have done in the last year and a half they've ruined everything without the abortion issue on the ballot as biden says no one realistically is going to get off their asses to to vote for a single Democrat come November. You'd have to be some kind of idiot to do so. But the abortion issue may get some of these lazy bastards off the couch into the voting booths. I don't want that. Wrong timing for this decision, and I don't agree with it regardless. Now, as for the Supreme Court's gun permit decision this week, that affects New York gun permit holders and soon the rest of the country. That I agree with 100%. The Supreme Court struck down a New York law requiring residents to prove proper cause or, or good reason to carry concealed firearms in public. And the Supreme Court said that that violates the U.S. Constitution. In New York, it's like impossible to get a carry license. You got to show that your life is in danger. Otherwise, you just can keep your gun in your house while the bad guys have guns all over the streets and you know, they're uh, terrorizing you with them. Justice Clarence Thomas wrote on behalf of the, the six conservative judges who make up the court's majority and ruled that Americans have a right to carry commonly used firearms in public for personal defense. Now, as I said, you can get a permit for target practice or um, to own one at home in New York easily, but it's very difficult to get one to carry. And, you know, you have to show a special need for self-protection very difficult to get. And the application process has been crooked in New York for decades. People are paying off uh, the people that make the decision on whether or not you get a carry license. People have gone to jail for taking bribes for this. This is well known. It's been crooked for decades, decades. So naturally, the far left is clutching their pearls. They want it the way it was, where the, the leftists in, in New York can be completely corrupt, take money uh, for getting a, a carry permit. They want it, you know, they, they, they're clutching those pearls. All those people carrying loaded weapons in the streets, how awful it's going to be. They're okay. These are the same people that are okay with drag queens hanging out in grammar schools and talking to, you know, kindergartners. That moral rot is okay with them. Or, or thinking that uh, girls in the locker room that are actually guys with a, with a French bread between their legs, they can be in the girls' locker rooms. They're okay with that also. That, that moral rot 
is okay, but guns are bad. Here's a tip. You tell us not to interfere with abortions unless we can conceive. Don't worry about our guns. You don't use them anyway. All right? Now, here are my thoughts on this. Who is this law actually helping? It has no impact on the criminals at all because they don't care about the law. They do whatever they want. They, they don't carry legally. And, and they're not buying legal guns anyway. They're buying illegal guns with the serial numbers scraped off. If a criminal is someone with a legal right to carry a gun, he clearly doesn't care about the laws of proper use anyway. If it's, if it's a guy who's got a legal gun and he's a criminal, he doesn't give a shit about the law, right? He doesn't. This only affects law-abiding citizens, people who are, are usually the victims of crimes and who want to be careful with their guns. Those are the ones that are actually impacted because the criminals are going to carry anyway. And we just want to protect ourselves. And the ruling explicitly says that New York can set up a licensing regime for carry permits, as many other states have done, which include criminal background checks and mental health background checks mandatory safety training. This is what any sane gun owner has been saying since forever. Let us carry the guns, but you need to make it tougher to be able to carry a gun. No one with any kind of mental health background should be able to get a permit or who's been arrested for any kind of violent crime at all. You should be required to have some kind of training. You should be required to lock up your guns in your house. Make all that stuff. That's where you impact the ability to carry guns, the danger with guns, is you make sure that the only people that can carry them are carefully vetted. Because if you're concerned about some crazy kid who's on all kinds of psychotropic drugs getting guns, well, they're going to get those guns in the house anyway and shoot shit up. And as we saw in Buffalo, where they had that recent racist shooting, that was in New York. Buffalo is in New York. So with all the New York laws that are impossible to get a, a license to carry, guess what? People still get guns and they still shoot people up in New York. It's just a very historically corrupt state. All sorts of criminals were getting these official legal permits to carry. But law-abiding people like me were shut out. Let us carry our guns and see how it works. You won't have to worry about getting mugged in New York City anymore. Any gun owner who's carrying, I'm thrilled. I think we shouldn't have to be sitting ducks in New York or anyplace else, not in America. But again, mainly the real reason I love this gun decision as well, the abortion decision too, because it makes the left crazy. It's making them scream again, like when Trump got elected. And for me, that's good enough. That's good enough. Now, I'm going to uh, take a quick break and I'm going to get back to a story a little bit from my past I think you'll find interesting. Back in a second. Jeffrey Lickman for Beyond the Legal Limit. Now, have you ever been in a place that you knew was dangerous? You knew that potentially you could be killed and you were thousands of miles from home. In 2007, I received the phone call from an English-speaking Brazilian lawyer. Along with some other lawyers from Brazil, Brazil, they represented a recently captured Colombian narco-trafficker nicknamed Chupeta. That was his nickname meant lollipop. 
His real name was Juan Carlos Ramirez. He was one of the leaders of the North Valley Cartel, a major Colombian cocaine organization responsible for sending multi-thousand kilogram shipments of cocaine into America. And this was in the 90s into the 2000s. He received a 24-year sentence in Colombia, naturally, because it's Colombia and crooked. He was released like six years later. He had been indicted in various districts of America, including the Eastern District of New York, which is in Brooklyn. That's where Chapo was uh, was prosecuted, and they wanted his extradition. One problem is that the Colombian authorities couldn't find him to arrest him to extradite him. A $5 million bounty was put on his head. He had massive plastic surgery to, I suppose, blend in or to hide his uh, identity. He put in like a fake chin, like a giant chin. He had a new nose. He was a different color. I mean, he looked like Dudley Do-Right from hell, really, the truth. He was on the run and eventually he got captured in Brazil, which is the country next door. And he was coming to Brooklyn for his case. I received the call sometime in late summer of 2007, and I was asked to possibly represent him. But first, they wanted me to visit him in the jail in Brazil that he was being locked up in, which was, you can imagine, was a very serious prison because this was such an important narco trafficker in the middle of Brazil. So I negotiated a fee to fly to Brazil for a couple of days and get over there and see him. Now, again, this was a very dangerous guy, wanted dead by countless other drug dealers, drug organizations, and probably various governments. I was told that two bodyguards would be picking me up at the Sao Paulo airport in Brazil. I'd be brought to a hotel to sleep for a couple hours, then brought to a plane and flown to a small city in central Brazil. There, I would be in uh, put in some shitty hotel because all the hotels there are shitty. And the next morning, I'd be taken to see Chupeta at this supermax prison. A translator would be meeting me at the hotel in the city where the prison was because Nobody spoke English except for me. Now, none of this seems so strange to me. A little bit. I mean, it's not. this is not your usual day that the average person has. I get it. Until I was told then that I would be given a code word, that when I got off the plane and saw the two bodyguards, I needed to tell them that word. And then they would say it back to me. This way, I would know that I had the right bodyguards and I wasn't being kidnapped and killed. This is what was told to me. And this gave me some pause, as you can imagine. I wasn't getting paid a huge amount of money to see just to go see Chupetta. And did I really need to possibly die for the visit? But in order to get to this prison, I needed to have my fingerprints taken and, and sent to the prison. I've never had such security in any prison in the world. And I've been to prisons in multiple continents. What I needed to do was send my fingerprints, and then those fingerprints would be used, stored electronically, and when I got to each prison door, there's many, it's like in Get Smart, each door opens, uh, then the next one, it closes, and then the next one opens. No two doors are open at the same time, and I had to put my thumb down to open up the door. I've never seen that in any prison ever. This was the most supermax of all prisons, including the one in Florence, Colorado, where El Chapo was being held now, where I have visited. And I was told that the visit would be secret, not to tell anyone, because he had a lot of enemies and uh, the people who hated Geppetta would be happy to kill a Jew lawyer uh, instead, if that's all they could get their hands on. 
So it took me weeks to get this visa, to get to Brazil, to get the paperwork needed to get into the prison. And before I left for the trip, I think like I think the day before, I received a phone call from a federal prosecutor in Brooklyn. And she asked me about my upcoming trip to see Chipetta. And I asked her, how, would you, how did you know? I mean, I could have just been visiting Brazil. How would she know? She told me that my pictures were all over a Colombian weekly magazine called Semana. I guess that means week. See, my Spanish is coming along. And they were talking about my upcoming trip to Brazil to see this narco trafficker, this famous Colombian narco trafficker. And I was being announced as his lawyer. She told me that I was nuts to be going there because they killed lawyers all the time down there. It was just regular business. And she did tell me she knew enough that I wasn't going to not go. But she told me to call her if I ran into any trouble there. So as if that would do a thing. Anyway, I got my hands on Samana. She sent it to me. And sure enough, I was in there with pictures and some writing. And here's some of the writing that was in it. I've um, had it. I've had it for years and I got it translated. Alan Burt, that's the uh, name of one of the lawyers in Brazil, already had the negotiations of Chupetta with the U.S. justice ready, and no one better than the lawyer Jeffrey Lichtman, with whom he made an alliance in New York to defend Juan Carlos Ramirez Chupetta in the judicial courts of the United States. Lichtman is recognized for having achieved the freedom of John Gotti Jr., the son of the biggest Capos in New York. I don't know why it's Capos. He wasn't a Capo. He was a boss. In New York, John Gotti, who died of cancer at the age of 61 in June 2002 while serving a life sentence in prison, the Marion Jail in Illinois. The reputation of being an excellent jurist was earned by Lickman after getting Gotti, the heir to the fortune of the last of New York's classic mobsters, to be released after six years in prison. I guess that was the trial. That is why the future of Chupeta in the United States will be in the hands of this man. And there's pictures of me. And I, I froze. I was told that this would be secret, and now it's plastered all over fucking Colombia, all over Brazil. What was, it, what was I thinking to be doing this? But why did I go then? I mean, to me, it was clear I was risking my life to some extent. But this is, you know, I guess how I am. I, fortune favors the bold. And what kind of lawyer would I be if I refused to take any risks? Uh, clients don't see me scared. They want you to fight for them. And the last thing they want is a lawyer who's afraid. They can smell the fear. Uh, they don't want that in their lawyers. Everybody can smell fear in a lawyer. And I've always faced my fears and I've always overcome them. And I was going. Yeah, I was scared. Would it change my behavior? No, I suppose. So I get on the plane. I was flying first class. And who's sitting like two seats away from me but Yoko Ono? She wore this stupid little black hat the entire trip. This stupid little chapeau on top of her pinhead. And she was eating cold cereal nonstop throughout this flight. It was like, I don't know, nine hours. I took an Ambien and I fell asleep. I still remember. This is now 15 years ago. I remember listening to Neil Young's Chrome Dreams 2, the album that had just come out, and the song Beautiful Bluebird over and over and over and over again. And I slept. And uh, when I landed, I got off the plane. I, I got out and I saw two large guys standing there looking like killers. And they were looking at all the passengers get off. And I walked up to them and I said, Ipanema. They responded, Ipanema. 
Now, Ipanema, as I learned later, is a city near Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. But of course, I didn't think that at all when I was given that code word. I thought of the Stan Getz, the classic song, The Girl from Ipanema, naturally. So I thought it was a cool word to have. Anyway, they took me to a hotel in Sao Paulo, and I simply slept there for a couple hours. And then these two bodyguards who spoke no English, uh, they took me to a small plane, and I flew to a smaller city and was dropped off at this disgusting hotel in this disgusting city in the middle of Brazil. And the, the hotel was disgusting because all the hotels were disgusting there. Uh, the room stunk like cigarettes, and they had these sconces next to the bed on the wall, I guess like for reading. But they weren't like these pretty sconces. They, they were simply fluorescent white light bulbs, like that ugly white color that like blinds you. That was the lighting in the room. The towels were sandpaper, literally sandpaper. And it was kind of funny, you know, but not really. It was exciting. I tried to go to sleep. I didn't sleep too much. The next morning, I called the prosecutor just to let her know that I was still alive. And she appreciated that. I then learned that I'd be going to prison in a few hours. The plans had changed and I wouldn't be able to go until noon which made the day a lot tighter, and I'd be picked up with the translator. I'd only have one hour to see Chipetta in prison. That's all they were allowing. He spoke no English. Then we'd be leaving directly to the airport to take us back to Sao Paulo, and then I'd have to catch my plane from uh, Sao Paulo to New York. And it was, it was, again, it was very tight. But I was told I had a couple of hours and to just stay in my room. Whatever I do, stay in the room. So, of course, naturally, I'm there. I left the room. I mean, I, I just wanted to see what it was about. And I tried to blend in with the locals, but of course, that was impossible. And let me tell you something that I learned. This is what I learned. People in foreign countries, okay, do not wear white Adidas superstar sneakers. They don't wear white sneakers at all. They all wear these dark, ugly, like soccer sneakers, you know, without the cleats, though. You know, the, you know, the kind of ugly sneakers that people from uh, from foreign countries wear. I mean, that's really what I learned. I, I really stuck out. And occasionally I'd hear what I thought was gunfire. And I noticed that a lot of buildings were burned. There were just like buildings that had parts of the tops off and there were burn marks up the side of the building. And I was on the street. I was like really jacked up. I was excited. I was a few blocks from my hotel. And that's when I thought, was here I am thousands of miles, I don't know, 4,000, 5,000 miles from home in a very scary area, in a place where no one but me spoke English and there was no one there to protect me but me. It was sobering, scary, and exciting a little bit. I got back to the hotel and we got to the prison after driving over dirt roads there were cows in the street. Literally, we were dodging cows until we reached this magnificent prison. Like, you can't even imagine. More imposing and more impressive than any prison I'd ever seen in America. We got through the various doors. We went inside. The, the translator got us through. We put our thumbs down. It took a while. But finally, I was brought into a room where Chupeta was. I had no idea what to expect. This is a guy who was thought to have killed hundreds of people. And that's what he actually testified to in the Chapo case, because he ended up being a witness in the Chapo case. He killed hundreds, didn't even remember how many, had no idea how many. And he killed many lawyers. I walked in there and there he was sitting there, small in a chair, handcuffed 
behind his back to the chair with three guards behind them with their automatic rifles in their hands directed at him. Now, they weren't pointed at his head per se, but the guns were not down. They were slightly lowered behind the man, three of them. So they weren't pointing directly at his head, but they were out with their fingers, you know, on the trigger. They were ready to go. They were not there to fuck around at all. And naturally, this infuriated me because how am I going to speak to this guy about any kind of privileged private matters, which he could say things that could incriminate him. And you've got these guards that work for the state. They can't be there listening. So I just said to them, you know, you can leave now. We're good. You know, because I just assumed they were there just until I got there. And these guys didn't even look at me when I said this. They didn't respond in any way. They just stood there with these blank expressions with their weapons in their hands and their fingers on the trigger. And Chupeta and I locked eyes. He was the small guy, uh, again, like with his really weird face, just misshapen. He was nervous, but he didn't seem scared. He was jumpy, I would say, anxious. He spoke in Spanish, and what was translated to me was, it's okay, they can stay. We only have an hour. And this was not the joyful first meeting that I had with El Chapo, who I really grew to like love. I loved this guy. This was a grim meeting with Chupetta. We talked about his case, and after an hour, I left. I went to go shake his hand because that's sort of a natural response. When you're leaving someone, I had forgotten that his hands were handcuffed behind his back, and he sort of turned and gave me a few fingers, which were behind his back that were in handcuffs, and I shook him and got the hell out of there. Barely made my flight back to New York, I remember. And I remember on the flight home, they were handing out New York Times. I think it was November 7th, maybe 2007. And I'm just flipping through it. And there was an article about talk radio. I was on talk radio many days back then. Not every day, but on WABC, I don't know, 15 days a month, perhaps, for five hours at a clip. And there was an article in the New York Times in which I was quoted as pushing for bombing Iran. That was again, November, 2007. It's 15 years later. I still feel that same way, but it was funny to read that. I remember having a little bit of a chuckle to myself as I was exhaling, coming back from seeing Chupetta. Now I spoke to Chupetta's lawyers about a fee. I gave it, I thought was a fair number. I, I don't, I don't look to overcharge clients. If I think a guy is uh, ridiculously rich I don't charge him just the ridiculous number just because I think I can get it. I think it's offensive. And again, I think that you want to have a relationship with your clients where they trust you and ripping them off is not a good first start. So I gave what I thought was a fair number and uh, Chipetta wanted to cooperate. And I had no idea what the government was willing to do with him. And I told him that, that there could theoretically be a trial if he was rejected. Um, but both he and his other lawyers didn't think a trial was possible because they figured that the American prosecutors were so desperate that they would do anything to get him as a cooperator. And in my mind, I felt, you know, stupidly that killing hundreds of people and poisoning Americans with tens, if not hundreds of thousands of kilograms of cocaine, maybe that might disqualify you as a cooperating witness. Of course, I was wrong. Of course. And of course, they accepted him. And as I said, he testified in Chapo's case. So I gave the fee number and the lawyer um, calls me back and tells me to triple it, triple it, to, to write a letter to Chapetta and give the number three times of what I had offered. 
I asked him why, and he told me that he wanted a third of the money. And another lawyer he worked with, who I didn't even know, hadn't even spoken to, also wanted a third. So I would get the original price that I wanted, but these two lawyers would be robbing Chupetta of millions of dollars. And I was like, I'm out. Not doing it. And I was heartbroken. I, I remember being really crushed. I had no way to directly communicate with Chupetta. As I said, he, as you know, he was in this jail in Brazil and didn't speak English. And this was a big fee for me. I wanted it and it was a cool case. But there was no way I was going to be part of robbing this guy. No money was worth it. So I wrote Chipetta a letter to the prison. I have no idea if it ever got to him. And I told him that I couldn't represent him because his lawyers were thieves. And I wanted no part of it. End of story. Good luck. Vaya con Dios, amigo. Never heard from them again. Eleven years later, Chipetta was a witness against Chapo Guzman. My brief representation of him, and yes, when I got back from Brazil, I met with the government and acted on Chapetta's behalf to them, was enough that it nearly cost me the ability to represent Chapo due to a conflict of interest. You can't represent someone and also cross-examine one of your former clients, even if it was for a brief nothing period of time. The judge allowed me to stay on the case as long as I didn't cross-examine Chapetta. Someone else in the case would have to. And I, you know, I knew this was... You know, I didn't fight it because I wanted to be in Chapo's case, even though I thought that I wasn't really Chipetta's lawyer. I didn't learn anything um, about him that I would be able to, you know, use against him. That's sort of the conflict of interest. But I was told that I couldn't share anything that I learned during my representation of him with any of the other lawyers on the case. And I was okay with it, although I really, that was a witness that I really would have enjoyed cooperating. When he came into the courtroom, uh, we locked eyes, and he just had a completely dead expression. Dead. There was just nothing behind his eyes. He looked ghastly. And he testified wearing a coat and gloves inside the courtroom. I guess all of the plastic surgery I had heard that he had gotten his fingerprints removed. Maybe that's what caused his, his hands to be screwed up. Um, but for whatever reason, you know, he testified fine. He seemed okay. But as I said, when we locked eyes and we had that day, that hour together, there was just nothing. There was not a flicker of recognition when I saw him. He was just a completely, he was a corpse that was speaking. Jeffrey Lickman for Beyond the Legal Limit. Thank you for listening this week. You can find me on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever podcasts can be found, beyondthelegallimit.com if you want to write to me. Thanks for listening. 